Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is me, Steffi Cohen. And Hayden Bo. And Tyler Ray. <laughs> and today we have Tyler Ray on the podcast. <laughs> Tyler is a professional MMA athlete. He trains out of Stanford MMA in Deerfield. He is 8-2. He's a former NCAA wrestler and graduated with a biology and exercise science degree, which is rare these days for people to have such a, an extensive athletic record and also pay attention to their academic career. Definitely. So much respect. Respect. As always, make sure when you're listening to the podcast, screenshot the episode, post it in your stories, tag me, tag Steffi, tag the Hybrid Unlimited page, and you'll automatically be entered in a draw to potentially win some hybrid legacy apparel. This episode is brought to you by Stay Classy Meats. Stay Classy Meats curates quality specialty meat from small batch ranchers and processors across the Northern Rockies. Check them out at stayclassymeats.com and use code HYBRID in all caps to get 10% off. This podcast episode is also brought to you by Beam. Beam is committed to producing high-quality, natural, innovative wellness products trusted by some of the world's top professional athletes. Beam creates products to support four main categories, balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. These products are combined of both CBD and non-CBD ingredients. By tapping into how we function biologically, CBD can work to regulate pain, mood, appetite, anxiety, and inflammation. As a Hybrid Unlimited listener, you get 15% off your order with code HYBRID in all caps. So check them out. That's BEAM and use code HYBRID in all caps for 15% off. Sit back, relax, enjoy another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. Um, so what was the consensus on the turtles and turtles? So uh, I believe turtles have flippers and tortoises are the ones that walk on land. Yeah. The more you know. <laughs> Interesting. That's why it's a sea turtle, because you have never heard of a sea tortoise, right? That's yeah. not a thing. Did you see a picture that Joe Rogan posted of the uh, ghost shark? No. Well, let me, let me pull this up. It's, it's called the ghost oh, shark? Nick, Jesus Christ. Wow, oh, it's so God. disruptive. So disruptive. I love actually looking at Joe Rogan's posts, because uh, I can just tell the ones where he's super high. Yeah. Uh, you know? And you're like... Like, he'll just, like, comment on the state of the world. And I'm like, oh, you were so high when you wrote this? Anyway, I mean, this is for your personal <laughs> entertainment, so I'm not going to wait for you to pull up the oh, picture of the... Yeah, look. He's like, that's a crazy. real thing. A ghost shark. That's crazy. Yeah. Google ghost shark if you want to know what we're that's talking crazy. about. Just the Isn't fact... like 70% of the ocean that we still haven't discovered? Yeah, I read a stat that said um, that we know more about outer space, like in the universe, than we do about the deepest depths of the That's ocean. That's crazy. I wonder why that is. And I think because once <laughs> you're in space, there's no, like the obstacle is, is getting there and surviving there, but it, and, but like the atmosphere doesn't change that much once you're out there. Whereas in uh, the ocean, we just physically don't have machines that can get deep enough yet. Right, but it's a, te it's a technology problem. Yeah. Because the atmosphere is different up there, but we figure out a way to be able to be there s relatively safely. Yeah. But I'm like, I don't like going in the ocean. No, me neither. You know, I used to think that... Um, <laughs> it's so really I used to think that... that I, like, obviously, I know sharks are in the ocean, but mm -hmm. I used to think that whenever I was in the ocean, sharks weren't nearby. You know, they're yeah, like... You see those flyover videos where there's like sharks within three feet of you? Well, I lived it. So I used to, you know, I used to be fearless, like get in the water, do wake surfing, like in open water, didn't care, get in and get out, waves, whatever. 
And then this guy was like, you know that, you know, I'm not going to get in there. Like, there's probably sharks. And I was like, bro, there's no sharks here. Like, the sharks are over there in some <laughs> other part. And then we went fishing. This guy, they chummed the water with, like, a bunch of blood and, like, bloody fish and whatnot. And within seconds, there were tents of sharks around the boat. I'm like, yeah, there. It was, like, pretty immediate. And I think the thing that's scary, too, is, like, they can just travel so fast. Yeah. So it's like, even if they're not really anywhere near you, if it's like, I don't know how many, like what if you cut your toe <laughs> and then you're in the water and then that thing smells it from like wherever it is. It's there in two seconds ripping you up. Yeah. Uh, that's a hard pass for me. Yeah. But anyway, Tyler, what's up? <laughs> not much. <laughs> welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, when did you fight last? I think it was May 21st. It was May 21st or May 16th. How did that go? May. I won a unanimous decision. Came out with a few stitches, but it made it all worth it. You so had a pretty good uh, stitcher upper because yeah. it doesn't look like anything happened. Yeah, where'd you get this? I got. I had under my left eye. I had nine. They had to do three deep. No, they did three deep and then nine over top of that. Then I had three more in the top eyelid, and then they just super glued this side. They so, had to stitch underneath the skin first. Yeah, because this one was like oh, really wow. deep. So I had three deep ones that were dissolvable, and then over top they put nine that I had to take out myself. And Damn. then three more in like this part right here, which was a pain in the ass to try and take these out because I took them all out with uh, fingernail clippers. Damn. And yeah. I couldn't scoop the thing, and I couldn't see because they kept getting in front of my eye. So I was kind of like trying to hook it and guess, and then I'll just pull, and hopefully I didn't clip my skin. I'd, luckily I did it, but I wouldn't oh. recommend that for you. <laughs> you. I have a question for you. Do you find yourself... Um, moaning more about like day-to-day -day pains just because like you want a little bit of sympathy like say for example so, yeah. that you're walking around and oh, you because he's because you because do a, a tough fighter. thing and you're not allowed to complain about that right like mean? when you get hit and like cut open whatever you're expecting that right like yeah. you're not gonna like cry or complain about it to anybody you put yourself in that situation yeah, exactly. yeah. but I feel like from what I've seen from my year into combat sports is that especially guys they <laughs> almost like They really need that sympathy outside the gym and outside the fights if anything happens. Like, say you're walking around and you stub your toe. <laughs> like, you're definitely going to say something about it. Oh, yeah, it. you make it, like, a really big deal. <laughs> like, very small things. <laughs> like, one night I might sleep wrong and my neck will be all kinked up and I'll just complain about it all day and see if <laughs> Hannah will give me a neck massage. <laughs> like, I can go to wrestling practice and get a stinger and be fine, but... Like what you said, little tiny shit like that. Just <laughs> blow it way out of proportion. So this is this is how I found this out. So one day, Jake was sleeping over at our place. And all of a sudden, Hayden and I are taking a shower. And we hear, <laughs> Steph! Like him screaming off the top of his lungs. And Hayden goes, I think Jake's in trouble. And I was like, nah. Like, really? Then I pay attention. He's like screaming off the top of his lungs. I go downstairs. <laughs> He's like sitting on the stairwell holding his foot. He's like, I got cut pretty bad. I was, I was, uh, I was separating Flo from Riley because they were fighting, and I'm pretty sure my foot's all fucked up. I don't even want to see it. <laughs> and then I go, I was like, okay, show me. He like shows me the bottom of his foot, and it's literally a scratch. I was like, dude, are you kidding me? No, he milked that one pretty good. for sure. I'll, or you know what the other thing is is like, I don't know if it's just me, but I think guys in general when we get sick, it's like way blown out of proportion yeah because it's your one time where you, you get to get taken <laughs> care of it's true yeah you know I'm like, like i'm like the biggest baby when it comes to like a can cold i have a hole it's true i don't fall for that 
Huh? Yeah, she has no sympathy for anything. I swear, if I actually accidentally cracked my head and was bleeding and on the ground going like, ah, ah, <laughs> she would just let me do that for like 30 seconds. And if I don't stop, she'd be like, what? Should I pull up the video <laughs> of the time that I rolled my ankle and almost broke my ankle into 10 pieces? What did you do? That's on camera. That's true. We're That's playing, you know, the shoulder <laughs> tap game. Yeah. Uh-uh. So it's like uh, we used to do it to warm up, uh, like just for boxing. Okay. And uh, it's like it's just like a movement drill. So you're trying to touch the other person's shoulder, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they can like yeah. you know counter or whatever. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm like kind of you know faking her out, and you know those videos like where they're playing basketball and they make the person fall, mm-hmm. and then everyone goes nuts. Yeah, yeah. I basically did that to Steph. I faked. You did her not out. do that yeah, to me. Yeah. I was wearing Yeezys in my defense. We all know those are really tall shoes. The Yeezys, uh, what are the 500s? Either way, I juked her. Juked me. And then she <laughs> fell hard. Hard. And, yeah. <laughs> and, but one. I thought she was fine, so I didn't realize she actually like twisted How her did ankle. You th- Yo, I'm like holding my foot like this. <laughs> oh, oh, like rolling around like from side to side. And this guy just goes. <laughs> <laughs> and walks away. It is actually all on video too, and she had somebody like remix the video. Caesar. So like you know the thing from uh, oh yeah you did it, Caesar did it. Uh, is it from American Sniper? Yeah. Where you know where he, the person's like mm-hmm. lining them up in the scope, and then it's like yeah. and they fall. He did that one. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's good. We should put it on the video. But hey, usually I'm you know I'm pretty sympathetic. Sure, whatever. Anyway, back to you, Tyler. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about your career in combat sports. How, when did you get started? What got you into it? Um, I got started in MMA when I was like 15. I, I originally just played a bunch of sports as a kid. I was one of those kids who just have something going on every season. But my main thing was just hockey. I was like obsessed with hockey. And I played in the Cincinnati. State. I was on the, the Cincinnati Cyclones. We did. Tri- I played the highest that we could in Cincinnati was AAA. I know you know a lot about. What position mm-hmm. did you play? I was a cent. When I was littler, I was defense, and then I got sick of like getting no attention, so I wanted to play center so I could score some goals or something. D. That's what I played in glorious uh, position. I mean, you get some glorious. glory in defense, but I just wanted to score goals. Yeah. And so I went up to center and then did that for a while, and like my passion was like hockey. That's all I did: eat, sleep, breathe hockey. I wanted to go to the NHL. And uh, then the MMA gym opened up around the corner, and I was, asked my dad if I could go do some cross training just to get in better shape for hockey. This is about like 14 or 15. So I started going in there doing some jujitsu and stuff like that, boxing. Started loving it and stuff, but it wasn't really like the thing for me yet. And then uh, we ended up going to a tournament up in Detroit and we played this team, the London Knights. And yeah, that's, they're from where I'm from. Yeah, they, that was the moment that I realized that I probably wasn't ever going to the NHL. Because these what? dudes just freaking skated circles around us. We were supposed to be the best team in Cincinnati. And we went up there and just got our asses beat, like, 12 to nothing. Like, if there was a mercy rule, because I also played roller hockey, and they would have a mercy rule. I think it, I can't remember if it was 11 or 12 or something. But if you get up, like, 11 to nothing, the game's just over. Like, the ultimate, like, embarrassing thing should that ever happen. <laughs> so, so this team basically could have done that, like, these kids were all two times as big as us. We're like 13, 14-year-old kids just skating circles around us, doing like the thing where they would be behind the net and pick it up on the stick and just drop it in to our goalie. And I was like, this is done. I'm done with this shit. Like, <laughs> really? That was a defining moment for you? Like, I was like, I'm never going to the NHL. What? 
But then at the same time, I was falling in with MMA or falling in love with MMA. So my passion for hockey was kind of going down. But then one day I went to the MMA gym and just did this grappling class. And there was this kid that was an amateur. I don't know if he was pro at the time, but we did. I rolled with him that day and he just beat the shit out of me, like slammed me on my head and all this. And my dad comes to pick me up and he said I had to grin from ear to ear that day. He's like, what are you smiling about? I was like, I just got my ass beat today. I loved it. And then, <laughs> and then like a month later, I ended up telling him, I was like, I think I'm done with hockey. I want to just go full time on MMA. A month later? So, about a month later, yeah. Like so, I just started going more and more each day doing jujitsu and then I would do boxing. Hold on, hold on. Let me stop you there. Thai. So I'm really interested when people quit stuff. You know, it's, just, it's a topic that I talk about a lot. Yeah. I quit a lot of things. And initially people used to call me a quitter or, you know, that I don't stick with things and whatnot. So I'm interested, like, you know, there's a difference between strategic quitting and reactive quitting. Strategic, mm -hmm. strategic quitting is when you, you know, objectively realize that you either don't have what it takes to take it to the next level and to actually succeed. You don't have the resources. You don't have the money, the time, the energy or the um, passion anymore. Mm -hmm. And then reactive quitting is quitting when something gets tough, you know, because you've encountered resistance. Yeah. Which one do you feel like it was for I you? I think it was a bit of the strategic because, like, I had the work ethic and the drive to go to the NHL per se, but, like, the as far as coaching and the resources, like, I knew that at some point I would have needed to go somewhere else or go to a boarding school or go do junior once I get into high school, like, go play juniors somewhere. And I, I don't think I was willing to do that at that time of my life. And I, at the same time, I was also falling in love with MMA, like, really hard. And then the other thing is my, my parents, like, were really strict on, like, if you're going to quit something, you're going to finish it out. Like, if it's the middle mm -hmm. of the season, you have to finish the mm -hmm. season. Like, they didn't raise me to be able to just stop and not go. Because they good. said, you signed up, you gave this team a commitment, and you're going to fulfill that till the end. So, luckily, I wasn't in season. So, one day I came home, and this is after, like, 10 or 12 years of playing hockey and I told my dad I was just done with it and at first they were pissed because it's an expensive sport like mm -hmm. yeah. all They've those invested years a traveling lot. invested all that time and him coming home like he would work and travel every week and then come home and he would have to pack another bag and get right back on the road to go up to Michigan or somewhere else so they were a little bit upset about that but at the same time they supported what I wanted to do but yeah I think it was strategic I don't think it was uh, the other, I think yeah, it was more of just running out of resources or just realize that I didn't have the things around me in order to make what I wanted to do happen. That's fair. Do you regret it? No, no, I haven't ever looked back. Like I've fallen in love with the sport of MMA and just combat sports. Like I haven't ever felt more alive than when I started doing that stuff. Like I just love it. Everything okay. about it. Gone. Continue the story. So yeah, MMA so boxing. I, so I started doing MMA after that. I'm f doing MMA full time in Cincinnati and me and my dad were watching a pay-per-view one night and he's like now you notice I'm noticing all these champions have a background in wrestling so it was like done I'm going to wrestle a lot of people think I started wrestling before MMA and that was my transition because usually that's a natural transition for the wrestlers these days but I was doing the MMA stuff before wrestling I just went into wrestling to help my MMA so like this has always been the goal for me it was never to like just wrestle and then see what I'm going to do afterwards it was always to go pro in MMA and fight in the UFC and do that so everything I've done up to this point is just to supplement that. So I went out for the high school. I started wrestling in ninth grade, wrestled for four years. And then after that, I was just going to go pro in MMA at 18 and just be a firefighter until I had enough money to do that. 
But like my junior, senior year, I started to get recruited to go wrestle in college. And like I had no desire to go to college at all. Like didn't even know what I would study. And my dad and my obviously my mom, nobody in my family has graduated from school yet or college at this point. So they wanted me to go to school just selfishly to have that degree. And because it's not a bad idea to go to college anyways. But mm-hmm. so they, they kind of talked me into it. But my dad was like, you know, it's just another four years to work on your wrestling for MMA. And I was like, you know, that's right. So. I ended up going to wrestle at Mount St. Joseph University. And then while there, I got a degree in biology and exercise science. And then after that, like literally the day after graduation, I had my car packed and drove down here to Florida to train at the Black Zillions. Wow. <clears throat> but like, that's even another whole crazy story in itself is how I ended up down here. Go on. Is, uh, so between my junior and senior year, I went to Vegas to do American Nationals. It's a IBJJF tournament jiu-jitsu tournament and uh so i went out there and that's the same weekend that they did the black zillions versus att finale so they were all out there in florida or not in florida in vegas and after my tournament i was walking back up to my room and hannah me and her were dating at the time but i used to watch all these highlight videos and there was one like she would always let me watch tyrone spong's highlight videos because she thought he was hot so I (laughs) i got away with just letting him watch watch it all the time and uh, so I saw him in Starbucks and at this, like I have been around fighters a lot at this point. So I'm like, not, I don't get starstruck by him anymore. So I used to take pictures all the time and I just walked by him and I was like, yeah, I should go get a picture with him just to send it to Hannah and make her jealous. So I go in there, ask him for a picture. He's like, oh yeah, for sure. Takes a picture. And we're walking away. And he's like, hey, what's your name? And, uh, and I told him, he's like, what are you doing out here? And I told him about the tournament, blah, blah, blah. He's like, do you fight and all this stuff? And he's like, I think there's something about you. I want you to come down to Florida to try out like literally didn't ask him any of this stuff it was just happening Whoa. and uh I was like wow that's my dream because before that I always told Hannah like I want to go to Florida and train with the Black Zillions like for my birthday she bought me one of their little Jocko jerseys to wear like so I had all this shit before I even came down to the team it was kind of funny I, it was a little embarrassing but at the same time it was no whatever. it's crazy so anyways we exchanged phone numbers me and my dad are walking away I'm like on top of the the world thinking is this real or not so I text him and I was like hey thanks for your time I really am looking forward to coming down to Florida to try out and I didn't think he was going to respond and like within 30 minutes he's like absolutely looking forward to it when I get back down there I'll sort it out and so like a month goes by I don't hear from him so I think it's over and then he just randomly calls me he's like how quickly can you get to Florida and I told my dad that and he's like I'll send you down there tomorrow so within like three days I was on a plane came down here for a week to try out for the team and then at the end of the week, they ended up offering to sign me to the Black Zillions fight team and the contract with their management. And then, so that's why, like the day after I graduated college, my car was already packed, came straight down here. Damn, that's crazy. That's, yeah. and uh, thanks, Hannah, huh? Right. Never would, it's if, funny how life works, right? Like if that wasn't a thing, then maybe you wouldn't have exactly. got the photo. She maybe you wouldn't have told me that. I wouldn't have even gotten a picture Dude, with listen, I, I go back and forth between believing in destiny and not believing in destiny. Like it's such a... I don't know, like a taboo thing for me. Mm-hmm. But dude, like what are the chances? Exactly, yeah. You know? Well, That's so many insane. things had to align, right? So many You had things. to like kind of, you know, be like, ah, I usually don't ask for photos, but yeah. this one time I will, and then it all like... Like before out. that, I had already walked by like Michael Bisping and GSP and all these guys. Didn't ask any of them for pictures. And I saw Tyrone just to get a picture to show Hannah. But this is funny. What, when you first started uh, MMA, did your parents have reservations about it? Oh, yeah, for sure, just because of the sport. And they had seen all the highlights and the blood and the violence and stuff. And my dad was a little bit against it, but more, more, or a little bit less than my mom. My mom just couldn't stand it. 
especially I had my first fight when I was 18 and I fought some 32 year old dude in Kentucky and there was like zero rules. They told us to buy our own four ounce gloves. Oof. They told us to wrap <laughs> your own hands. There was no athletic commission. They didn't check gloves or hand wraps. Oh my God. Me and my opponent were in the same locker room together and it's like, that's so I, awkward. It was dude. crazy. <laughs> Just warming up, hitting That's pads so right next awkward. to each other. <laughs> wow. Oh my god! It was fun though. He ended up throwing in the towel in the first round, but he, it was funny because the day before at weigh-ins, he was like, "Yeah, this is supposed to be my comeback fight," and they give me some fucking eighteen-year-old kid who says he's some wrestler or something. But we'll see about that when I start hitting him in the face. But I wow! Mean, and then he ends up shooting on me in the fight. He didn't even try and stand with me. Wow! It was funny. He Damn. put his words right up his culo. <laughs> and you know that was your saying? pro debut? That was, that was my amateur debut. Oh. That was before I went to college. Hey, how does uh, amateur MMA differ from pro? Because I know in boxing, there's like, the it's a different, year. you know, the sort of a different style. Yeah. yeah, like the time for amateur MMA, you fight three minute rounds. I'm okay. not really sure. I should know this, but I'm not sure if for title fights, they do five threes or not. I think it's still three threes, but don't quote me on that. But I know in Florida, you got to wear shin guards. Um, Ohio, you also wear shin guards, but Kentucky, when I fought, there was like zero rules. And then you're supposed to wear eight ounce gloves, and okay. then uh, there's no kicks to the head or knees to the head and elbows. No, you can kick to the head, but you can't knee to the head or elbow. Okay. And then all, and then in Florida, if you have less than four fights, so don't quote me on any of this stuff. I'm just kind of <laughs> like rambling it off, but I'm pretty sure that if you have less than four fights on the ground, when it hits the ground, it's only grappling. Because oh, okay. when I fought, I had one fight in Tampa before I went pro down here. And at the time, I only had one amateur fight. But my experience was a lot more than that because I was already training with the Black Zillions and then wrestling and all that before. And they were going to try and make me do a fight with somebody else that had like one or two fights. And when it hit the ground, there was no punching. And I didn't want to do that. So they ended up giving me a guy that was like six or seven and oh, just so we could bypass that rule. Oh, but, so as long as one person yeah. has more than the whatever required amount of fights, the other guy can sort of like wave that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they're getting more lenient about it too because I just cornered one of my guys like a month ago for a kickboxing fight and they uh, they were supposed to wear headgear and there's usually no elbows for amateurs, but at the rules meeting, they're like, we're we're adopting the new Muay Thai rules. So if you and your opponent agree that you don't want to wear headgear, then you don't have to wear that. And also if you guys want to throw elbows, we're going to do those tonight too. We have elbow pads for everybody. Yeah. And you should have seen these kids' eyes in the locker room when they're like, oh, fuck, we're throwing elbows. Like, they were not ready for that shit. <laughs> Me and my buddy were just laughing so fun. Like, they were nervous about it? I was excited about it. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun to watch these amateur kids try and elbow the shit out of each other. But <laughs> none of them were really about it. <laughs> but And my guy ended up, his opponent wanted to wear headgear and didn't want to elbow, so he didn't get to do it. But, but I know those are the rules. And then in, at least in Florida and most states, you have to have a certain amount of amateur fights until you're allowed to go pro. So like Florida, they require five. I'm pretty sure Ohio okay. is the same. And, uh, but then you can also do like what I did. I had two amateur fights and then I just skipped the rest and went out to South Dakota where they don't care how many you have and just went straight to pro. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of people take that route. Yeah. You took that route. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah you just, she just fought uh, in the DR where you didn't need any amateur yeah. fights or anything. Mm -hmm. what, um, was there a moment when, when you first started doing MMA slash wrestling that you felt that you had what it took to be really successful in the sport? Was it, because for me, I'll give you an example. For me, in the past, like when I've, you know, when I did weightlifting, powerlifting, and now boxing, for me, it was the um, 
speed at which I was learning, that mm-hmm. was a really good indicator that I could do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just advancing faster than the norm. Was there something like that for you? Yeah, I mean, for the as far as like the grappling level, um, like when I first started wrestling, for the first half of the season, I was undefeated, just naturally picked up on just how to grapple, where to move, and all these things to do, like the shots. Like I really picked up on that quickly. And then it translated to jiu-jitsu really well. So I was able to compete with a lot higher belts and move up quicker than most people. And I found myself training with some guys that are in the pros. Like I was training with Rich Franklin when he was at the height of his career in the UFC when I was like 16, 17 years old. And this is only after like three years of training. So like I, I picked up on it quick, but I was also just literally would go home and just watch it all day long. So I was getting reps in at the gym and I would go home and get mental reps in. So like that's one thing that people overlook a lot, but I, it just came naturally to me, mm-hmm. like really quickly. So mm-hmm. I think that was when I kind of realized that this is what I am meant to do, mm-hmm. not even just want to do. Yeah, watching uh, like footage or if it's a traditional sport, game tape is like super important. Oh, yeah. And even I found growing up uh, playing like NHL yeah. uh, on like Xbox helped. We used to call it Chell. Chell. If you guys called it that, <laughs> we like, you playing Chell later? Chell. Did you ever play um, Hits? Yeah, that like one was just guys ridiculous. Like heads on fire. You catch on you fire like if you're on a roll. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that uh, game was fun. so good. But yeah, NHL, it was like just you see, you know, you do some move that you can't do, and yeah. then you see them doing. You're like, oh, I'm gonna try that, and you yeah. start messing around with it, and you like pick and up. And you on can it like run little plays in the NHL game, like what yeah. they call cycling the puck through the corner and stuff. Like you can do all that. The UFC game, not so much, because that's they're still kind of lagging behind and fighting, so you can't really learn from that. But there's there so was many one guy fights. who said they did though. It was somebody big Probably too. Max Holloway, he thinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was him. It was well, Max Holloway. What did Holloway. he do? What did he do? He said that uh, he he did some move in a fight, and then was like, "Yeah, I learned. I just learned it playing the UFC video <laughs> game." <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I tried the uh, the virtual reality boxing thing. Uh huh. It's pretty shit. Really? Is yeah. it like Wii Boxing? Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, I love that game, <laughs> Wii Boxing. Yeah. Have you seen the good. the videos of guys just like? Chuck, like accidentally punching their TV. Yeah. They didn't realize it get too close when they're wearing the headsets. Oh my God. Where they throw the remote and break their TV. That'll but I'm gonna, if you don't have any more questions about this, I have, I wanna pivot. Pivot. Pivoting. Okay. Right. <laughs> so I'm always really interested when I speak to fighters on the podcast about their, like, the mental aspect of fighting. You know, specifically. So the first question I had for you is about who or what are you fighting for? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm fighting for myself. You know, a lot of guy. I know that these are going to, well, it began for myself, but then as I've gone on, I start to fight for more things. Like, I'm fighting for me and Hannah's future. One day I'll have a child that I'll be fighting for. So as you go, I think you end up fighting for more things than just yourself. But to start, I'm, I do it for myself because I love it. It's something that I've always wanted to do and what I set out for. And I, I didn't really get into it for the money. I mean, obviously the money's gonna be nice, but it's just my passion for the sport and it's something that I've always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And there's been things in my life that I set out to do that never really got to accomplish or fell just short of. And so this is just the one thing that I'm like, I'm gonna do this. Mm-hmm. And it's it's for me, like, I always tell my dad about it because we, we'll have talks about fighting and stuff and I'm like, this is this is just something that I need to do. It's just for me. What's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is UFC champion and get on the pound for pound top 10 list is mm-hmm. like, I have really high expectations for myself and I know that I'm capable of doing those things. Cause I train with 
the current I trained with until he left to go to Colorado, the current welterweight champ. And he's the number one pound for pound guy in the list. And like I was in the gym with him every day. So I know what's capable and, and what it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's just something that I've set out that I want to do for myself. Where do you feel like you're lagging? Right now, it's just, I think it's a little bit of like experience because like I just said about the amateur thing, I skipped my whole amateur career and went straight to pro when I think that's extremely beneficial. Like if somebody were to ask me one day, my number one advice, I would say, take your time in the amateurs because you can gain so much experience. Like right now I'm learning, or I was, like now I'm pretty comfortable in there, but I was learning on the professional scene, like making mistakes. And, and that's not where you want to be doing that. You want to make get all those kinks ironed out in the amateur levels so that when you get in the pros, all that's done with and you're ready to go. Like I was making amateur mistakes early on in my career that I should have not been doing. Mm-hmm. So, Le- think, Like what? Uh, I mean, like I, I got thrown into the, like I lost my second fight. I got guillotined in my second fight. Um, got, I was being hyped up. I was this blue chip prospect, next big thing. And I got thrown straight into like the third fight from the main event on an LFA card, national televised, and like the nerves and everything was already getting to me. And then on top of that, this kid had more fights than me and he had a huge amateur career. And I go out there and get cracked like a little bit and panic instantly. And I'm like, oh shit, I gotta revert to my wrestling base. So I take a sloppy shot and basically just hand him a gift wrapped guillotine like, here you go, just finish the fight. Mm-hmm. Where before, like now, that that has happened now in fights where I get hit kind of hard and your head's ringing a little bit. It's like, I've been there before. I'm just like, Oh, just start moving, shake it out and get back to work. Like Mm -hmm. it's nothing now. But then the first time happening on that level, I was like panicked big time. My mind was, I couldn't compose myself at the time. That's interesting. Why was it that you skipped or that you had a short amateur career? Because I, I was really eager to go pro. Like I, Mm -hmm. I had like, I had deadlines for myself that I was going to meet that I'm like still not, like I thought I was going to be in the UFC five years ago by now and have the belt right now if I had my way. Like I thought I was going to go pro at 18, UFC by like 23, win the belt and it is, the, the fight game will just laugh in your face like that because I am still trying to get into the UFC. I'm 28 now and, and uh, like I was just really regimented with like, I need this to happen, this to happen, this to happen. And sometimes I think that's a downfall. It's like I want things to happen, and if they don't, then I get really hard on myself, and I think I'm not doing something right or think I need to work harder or do this and that. And yeah. it can be like a downfall. Cause I was going to say, like, expectations are really dangerous. Yeah, the I have expectations very high that, expectations. That you said for yourself. Like, it is important to have high expectations, but I think above all is more important to have high standards mm-hmm. and not focus so much on the expectations. The yeah. expectations let you down, but the standards are something that you can live by, right? Like, the standard is I never miss training session. The standard is I give it my best every time. The standard is, you know, even when I don't want to do it, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 100%. But if you focus so much on those expectations, it, it's crushing. Like, I just had a conversation with Hayden the other day about, you know, I got out of my last, not this one, but my previous sparring session. And I know I did well, mm-hmm. like, relative, relative to how long I've been doing it for. But I felt like I had a certain expectation of where I would be mm-hmm. a year into boxing, and I didn't meet it. You know, I felt like I would look loser or I felt like I would, you know, have better conditioning or that I would look, you know, more composed during the, the fight. Yep. And I didn't. And that's what I was, you know, getting down on myself for. Mm-hmm. And it's dangerous because if you play that game, man, like, oh, my God, 
no, the mental wears on you the rest of the day, exactly. carry into the next day. I mean, exactly. And I've crushes had, your confidence. Oh yeah. Well, and if you think that it doesn't matter how much progress you make, it's always going to be not enough in your mind. Right. Yeah. Like that's what makes, I think a lot of successful people in whatever sport good is that they're never satisfied. Yeah. So you keep pushing, you keep trying to do that. You're always going to find something you could have done better. Mm-hmm. You watch the video and you're like, Oh, why did I do this? I could have done that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's like, you should set like a little time for yourself where you analyze that you feel good or bad and then you move on. It's in the past. Sure. You know? That was like one thing I got from Trevor Whitman a while ago. He's a, a boxing coach out in Colorado is he says, uh, never leave a practice negative, like still try and find one or two things that you did positive in that practice and then focus on that mm-hmm. because you st- I, I used to go into sparring sessions and I would have like, maybe we do five rounds that day. Two of those rounds are great but then three of them could have been shit. I just focused on those three rounds and I'm like, damn, I suck at fighting. Like, what am I doing? I need to go do something else. <laughs> when in reality, I had two really good sparring sessions and it's not like we're there to win a fight. We're there to get better and work on technique. And yeah. I didn't look at it that for a long time. Yeah. And so once I started looking at it like that, I was like, okay, I did this really well today and this really well today. Let's build on that. And I started giving myself like, you can dwell on this for like, two hours or till the end of the day and then when the day's over you're never thinking about it again yeah or until when you leave the gym it stays in the gym this episode is brought to you by stay classy meats stay classy meats curates quality specialty meat from small batch ranchers and processors across the northern rockies they are an athlete focused meat company uh always never ever no hormones no antibiotics They source from ranchers who are for the animals to free-range graze in low-stress environments on nutrient-rich regenerative grass. Montana is known for having very productive farmland, and the nutrient-rich grass consumed by the animals is passed on to us. They cater to athletes who require the best quality products to put in their bodies. Nutrition is the base of our existence. The better the quality of the inputs, the less stressed out our bodies will be, and the more efficient they will run. Quality, convenience, small batch that's stay classy meats check them out at stayclassymeats.com and use code hybrid in all caps to get 10 percent off this podcast episode is also brought to you by beam beam is committed to producing high quality natural innovative wellness products trusted by some of the world's top professional athletes beam creates products to support four main categories balance performance recovery and sleep These products are combined of both CBD and non-CBD ingredients. By tapping into how we function biologically, CBD can work to regulate pain, mood, appetite, anxiety, and inflammation. As a Hybrid Unlimited listener, you get 15% off your order with code HYBRID in all caps. So check them out. That's BEAM and use code HYBRID in all caps for 15% off. Because, dude, sparring is similar to a, max, a random max out session at the gym. Like, it's not a good and accurate representation of how you're going to perform on your fight. You know, yeah. I think a spar is more similar to just kind of like a, it's an assessment mm-hmm. for your coach to see where you're at and where your flaws are mm-hmm. and what you need to be working on. It's, it's nothing more than a test or an assessment for yeah. your coach and yourself to see where you're, where you're staying behind or what you're doing well. Exactly. So, and then the other thing is, so my sports psychologist, I spoke to him about that, about how I get down on myself after sparring. And this I've been actually doing, I've, I've started about 13 training journals and I, and I get like, <laughs> and maybe this page one. Yeah. Page oh, one. I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> it's so bad. But this time I'm on like, I think I've recorded a couple weeks already. Okay. And PR. 
PR. It, it, it's so much easier when you have something specific to write about because I don't know. I don't like journaling. I don't like talking about emotions. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a more objective person. Did I do well? Did I not? Did I lift the thing? Did I not? How many points did I score? You know, did I do yeah. the combination that you asked me to do or did I not? But his advice was just have a training log. And after every sparring, just write what you did well. Mm-hmm. Don't even like think about, you can think about it and talk to your coach about what you didn't do well, but just write what you did well. Yeah. And then just looking back at it, you honestly, you forget the things that you didn't do well. And in the moment, they seem so much bigger. You know, it seems catastrophic, the mistakes that you made. You're yeah. like, fuck, I'm never going to make it to the UFC. I'm never going to be a pro, bo- a good, a respected pro boxer. Mm-hmm. But you like, really, you forget about that. especially if you do it intentionally, right? If you highlight the things that you did well and you just let go of the things that you didn't, you know, and it's a powerful thing. I highly recommend anyone that's listening to try that. Uh, I need to get better about that. Do you think, because you said your ultimate goal is to go to the UFC, Mm -hmm. do you think the UFC will always be the pinnacle of MMA? I I think so, yeah. I think that... uh, It's interesting to see now, uh, I think it's um, PFL is doing that like $6 million tournament. And then you have Bellator, like, kind of taking some of the, I guess, the, the like, top contender guys that are not uh, who the UFC are fo- mm-hmm. super focused on anymore. So it's, like, it's interesting to see that. And I think those promotions are really trying to amp those aspects of it mm-hmm. up. But at least for me, I like, the UFC is, I feel like... I mean, like it's like if you talk to the casual fans, they say, like, you'll catch people saying, hey, you train UFC... Like, people associate yeah. MMA with, with UFC. UFC. That's it. Like, they don't really know. Like, not everyone's going to know who Bellator and PFL are. But at the same time, those promotions are paying their fighters a lot better on average than the UFC is paying their fighters. That's crazy to me. Would you take a better <coughs> contract with, like, Bellator over uh, UFC? Or would you take less money just to be in the UFC? Well, see, that, that right now, I've already been offered to fight with Bellator. I've had opportunities to do that. I've had one Bellator fight, and afterwards they said they wanted to have me back, and then since then I've had two or three more opportunities to go sign with them, and I've just been holding out because it's just been my childhood dream to fight in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying before, it's never really been about the money for me. Right. And uh, obviously I want to make a lot of money doing this and be able to set myself up financially for a later on in life and not have to go work a nine-to-five. But right now I feel like I'm in the stage of my life where I can still hold off on waiting for the UFC because I know it's going to come. It's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to be signed by the end of this year, but I have given myself deadlines. If that weren't to happen, then yes, I would go sign with mm-hmm. Bellator, PFL, or one and start getting paid the, the money that I'm One's worth. pretty crazy. Yeah. No. One's paying guys really well, and they also sometimes pay guys like monthly uh, oh, really? too. Like yeah. a salary. That's pretty cool. I mean, there's been a couple big name UFC guys who went over there and got fucked up. Oh, yeah. Like Eddie Alvarez and uh, Demetrius Demetrius Johnson Johnson. went over there, and they're having tough fights. But one's also about to start having shows in the U.S. because Rich Franklin works with one, and he told uh, one of my buddies that they're getting ready to come over here and start putting on shows and stuff. Damn, that's cool. And their rules are a bit different, right? Like you can knee on the ground. Yeah, they're like pride rules. You can do all that. Because it's... In Asia, right? Yeah, That's right now, right basically. Now. Like, most of the fights they've been doing right now is in Singapore. I wonder if they'll be able to keep those rules when they come over here. I think so. Because, I mean, you, you got guys doing bare-knuckle MMA over here, so... <laughs> I, I think it's just yeah, about true. promotions <laughs> and um, the commissions. Tyler, you said that at one point you were undefeated? Uh, 
No, no, just one and no, because then I lost my second fight. But uh, was it in the amateurs or? In the amateurs, I was undefeated. Did for you ever my, lose? My wrestling career, I was undefeated for like three quarters of the season. Okay, and then did you lose at some point? Yeah. So talk to me through that. I took that loss like really hard when I lost in wrestling the first time because I thought I was just a world beater. Like it was, I didn't lose until we got to the freshman state tournament and then I lost in like the second round and I thought I was going to win it. My first year wrestling some protege stud and ended up losing and I took it to heart big time and then the rest of my tournament went way downhill like quick. And I don't even think I placed at that tournament because of that and I should have at least gotten top five but didn't place at all like it sabotaged me mentally big time how did you feel like talk to talk to me or talked through that loss you know like you lost and then what were you like what, what was going through your mind like 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 just like we were saying i have such high expectations for myself and i hold myself at such a high like accountability that when i lose like i beat myself up worse than anybody could possibly beat me up and i have gone down like dark holes where i'll just be like that for like a week or two at a time just in a bad headspace because I think if you lose one time it's the end of the world and you're never going to get there and so that that one sucked but when I lost my second fight as a pro in MMA that one was the worst because I was hyped up big time like some blue chip prospect blah 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 all this stuff and then I come out and lose my second fight in the first round to a submission I'm like I'm never going to get there now like this is it I'm done how did I, you get out of it out, out of that headspace um, luckily like Kamaru has always been like a mentor to me and he lost his second fight. So he, me and him, he talked a lot to me about that. And uh, so he helped pull me out of that a little bit. And then just a lot of other guys that I train with. I've been lucky to train with a lot of high level who's and who of the UFC and all these other promotions. And they've all had losses and they gave me advice on like, first off, MMA is not like boxing where you really need to have an undefeated record to be a big star. Right. And two, like you're gonna lose at some point. And like, look at it positively. You got the loss out of the way. Now you can just focus on going out there and fighting. But it sucked for a while. Like I was like depressed and just not in a good headspace for a really long time. And then literally right after that is when I ended up getting really sick with this lung infection, which I had been fighting with that I didn't know about. And I ended up in the hospital like three months after that loss and had chest tubes in for a month afterwards. And they drained like 1.12 liters out of my pleural cavity. It was crazy. Jesus. Yeah. What led to that? It was, so I had a, I had a uh, non-cancerous tumor in my left bronchial, like right at the top part, and it was blocking 70% of my airway. Wow. And they said because it's like the opposite of cancer, so cancer tumors like grow rapidly. They're very fast. This one grows so slow that they said it had been in my lung for at least five or more years. Whoa. And my body was just adapting to it over time and putting up with it to a certain extent. Wow. And then, uh, like, literally the first year I moved down here, I would get bronchitis, like, once a month. And I was like, this is crazy. I've never gotten sick like this. And it was just my body getting to that point of failure, like, hey, we can't keep doing this anymore. But I had no idea. And uh, so I went and saw a doctor, and they told me, oh, uh, you just have asthma. And I was like, there's no way I have fucking asthma. Like, I have not had <laughs> asthma my whole life. Um, and I like a refused to believe it. Like, they prescribed me all these inhalers, and I just went home and threw them in the drawer, wouldn't use them like tried to cure myself on my diet. So, cause diet, my nutrition's always been a big passion of mine. So I was like, nah, I'm just gonna cure myself with my nutrition. Did that and I mean, it helped me. I think that at the end of the day, my nutrition ended up like elongating like all this shit. 
Like I didn't, it, it would have been way sooner if I didn't take care of myself the way I did. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I did that, would get bronchitis, go to the doctor, they would give me a Z-pack and a steroid. It was like routine. Like they would see me and they're like, no, it was getting <laughs> oh ridiculous. God. So then I ended up uh, on New Year's Eve, Hannah and I just went out to go do a little three mile jog. This was in 2018. And you would think that's easy. I couldn't even finish a mile. I had, I told her, I was like, I'm just going to walk back home. I can't like coughing up all this nasty stuff and couldn't even barely run. So I go home and we sat down, had dinner later that night. And then I start getting like these terrible pains down my left side. Oh shit! And I'm like, I told her and she's like, well, so she goes to the store and buys Tums because we think it's like indigestion or something. Like this is how stupid we were. I mean, we're not stupid. We just didn't know. So then, uh, and every time I would, I would get, I would like, we had extra bed sheets because I used to wake up sweating all the time. So like I should, these should have all been triggers that I should have known something was going on. But I just was in deny, deny, deny because I'm down here trying to live my dream. I'm training with the Black Zans, busting my ass for all these years to get here and I'm not going to let this shit stop me. And so on New Year's morning at like 4 a.m. I'm laying in the bed because I went to our guest bedroom because I didn't want to keep her up because I used to cough all the time. And I text her at like 4 a.m. I'm like, whenever you decide to wake up for the day, can you take me to urgent care? Because this is not normal. And she's like, yeah, sure. But she's kind of bitching about it. Like I always hold this up to her because she feels so bad about it now. And then like two hours go by <laughs> at 6 a.m. I'm like, I just texted her because she was giving me a little attitude because she didn't want to go. So at 6 a.m. I just texted her help. And I knew that would get her to come over. And I was just curled up in the bed. And she said I was like purple. And she Ooh. took me to the ER. They said I had pneumonia, and they're like, there's no way somebody in your health should be getting pneumonia two times like this, because I had it two years prior. So then they started running other tests, like C, or the CT scan or whatever, the CAT scan, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, they found a tumor in my lung. So then they go do a, take that out. At this point, I'm freaking the fuck out, because I think I've got lung cancer and all this shit. So they do a biopsy on that. It comes back non-cancerous. But then they tell me that I have to get a surgery where they're going to go in through my ribs and take the infection out and it's supposed to be a 30 minute procedure so I and it ended up being three hours long and the doctor told he came out and told my dad he's like if you would have waited 24 to 36 more hours he was going to die because my lung had collapsed to 30 percent my left lung and they said it was like the infection had wrapped around my lung like he was he said he was basically like you know how when you peel the orange with those tools like he said that's basically what it was like peeling this thing off my lung and uh, so this is on January 1st. I was in the, I had two chest oh, tubes happy in. Happy New Year. Happy yeah, right. New Year. I have two chest tubes in and I'm, I was in the hospital from January 1st to the 13th. And then they let me leave the hospital with the chest tubes in for like a whole nother month. And I had a pick line in my right arm. So I'm like every night I had to sit down and make my own little antibiotic IV bag in these chest tubes. And I always told the doctor, I was like, so when can I fight again? They're like, I don't even know if you're going to live like a normal life again. That should be the last thing you wow. should worry about right now. Yeah. Like your left lung could potentially be so scarred that it's going to cause these problems, this and that. And so I texted my manager and I was like, when's the next fight in Sioux Falls? And he said, it's on April 20th. So I was like, well, plan for me to be on that one. And, th- and this is on January 13th. And so when I got out of the hospital, like with the tubes and the pick line, and I would just go to the gym and get on the Stairmaster, just trying to build my lungs <laughs> up, just climbing and then I would hit every leg machine in the gym because I was just so determined to get back and so the infectious disease doctor was the one that told me I was probably never going to fight again and then when I went back for my follow-up she did all the tests they did a whole scan of my lung I had to do a bronch and all this stuff 
and they said that my lung had completely um, bounced back to 100%, and they had never seen somebody heal that fast. And they're like, it's like the Wolverine. So that was oh, where I got my sick. nickname from. Oh. Like, I didn't just pick Wolverine because I liked the superhero. It was just because the doctor said that. And then she ended up making me a case study that she said she presents to her students on um, the way I recovered from it and the infection and how serious it was and shit at wow. FAU. Did she say anything about the, like, were the things that you were doing helping? Like, was, was it good that you were going to the gym and, and doing what you could? And going I think on the that they said just trying to move and get my lungs working again, help build it up quicker. And then the way I, because when I got, when I was in the hospital, like every night I would just be on Google, like, what's the best diet for like anti-inflammation, recovery, all this stuff. Like I would only eat that stuff. And I was like in the hospital doing push-ups, leaning on the wall. Like <laughs> I was crazy. Like I was determined to get back. But wow. I ended up fighting on April 20th. Wow. So it was like go? quick. I won. I won decision. It w but at the same time, I, I wanted to finish the kid, but at the same time, I just wanted to go three rounds to see how my lungs felt. But it was just, it was like night and day. It was like I had a brand new pair of lungs. Wow. But ever since then, my career completely changed. So like, I don't blame my first loss on that because it, it sounds like I'm making excuses, but at the same time, I wasn't really At the same time, the same you had person. a tumor in your lungs. Yeah. That <laughs> blocked 70% of my airway. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty significant, if you ask yeah. me. Damn. So, how many fights do you have now? Ten. I'm eight and two now. Eight and two. Nice. And you know, in, did you say you knew when the next one is? It's supposed to be in October sometime, penciled in the 22nd, but that could change. They said there was possibly some dates in the beginning of the month, maybe, that I could okay. get on. But is that here? The 22nd one would be in Vail. Oh, okay. You don't really think of that spot as like a fight spot, huh? Yeah. If, like sweaters tied around your neck and yeah. skiing and brunch. <laughs> right. And so when's your next fight? So maybe in October, but I'd like to yeah. fight in the beginning of October, preferably not the 22nd, but because I wanted to fight four times this year. I've already fought twice because up until this point, I've only been able to fight twice a year. Like I've sometimes when I get booked to fight, I've been going through this thing where I'll get one opponent and then he'll pull out. Then I get another guy and then he'll sign the contract and pull out. And it goes through like one time I went through eight opponents. Yeah, that's so annoying. Or my last fight, this last fight looked a little bit uglier than it should have because that dude, my original opponent, accepted the fight, signed the contract. A week later, pulls back out. They give me somebody else, he pulled out. Then that original opponent comes back in and then he pulled out. And then this dude signs up on six days notice to fight me and I tried to look him up. He had zero fight footage. So like I went into this fight blind. Wow. And uh, so like the first round, he, he comes out and hits me with this three piece combo that I've never seen him throw before. Wasn't even expecting it and cuts me up within like a minute and a half of the fight. So it looked pretty rough. Like I was getting my ass beat the first round cause I'm bleeding all over the place, got these cuts. But like I was telling everybody, I was like, I was getting reads the whole first round on him, like learning what he likes, what he doesn't, mm. which is a benefit to sparring at Sanford is just so many different bodies in the gym is that I was able to adapt to his fighting style pretty quick to where if I was just sparring with the same one or two partners all the time, that would have been a little bit more challenging to try and adapt to that and make the changes that I needed to. But I ended up doing that in the second and third round. I won both those and came back and won. So it wasn't pretty, but a lot of people, even some veterans in the sport told me that that's probably my biggest win just because of the adversity that I had to go through in that fight and, and the way I handled it and stuff. So I was mm -hmm. happy about it. I mean, I wasn't happy about it until they told me that. And then I kind of stepped back and looked at it. Like, yeah, you're right. 
Mm. Yeah, that's risky. Yeah. Probably a lot. There's probably a lot of people who wouldn't take a fight like that, right? Oh yeah, 100. percent And then you'll get a lot of guys nowadays in MMA that will pad their records. They only fight losing opponents because they want to just get all these finishes. Because the UFC likes finishes and they like undefeated records, but mm-hmm. they're not fighting anybody. Like these guys are fighting. We, I call them tomato cans. Like yeah, somebody yeah. you just found off the street two days ago. Yeah, I th- feel like even um, like obviously Sean O'Malley's awesome, but he's kind of like. Most of his fights are against guys like that, except yeah. for Cheeto Vera and yeah. busted his leg. But, you know, it's like the last guy, you know, I, I, I always find it funny. This is kind of a tangent. But in MMA or fight sports, whenever they're talking about how tough a guy is, mm-hmm. it's always because he's getting his ass kicked but won't get knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that guy was definitely <laughs> tough as nails. But well, I mean, like, like, what's the fun in being tough? It's cool to take a punch. Yeah, but fuck that, dude. Like, I'd rather just win the damn fight and not just be known as tough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Did you watch be, that fight? Oh, yeah. Oof. I think I mean, they should have gave him the last 30 seconds just to finish the fight. But, I mean, that kid was just like a Pez machine the whole fight. Yeah, he was getting So, crazy. like, what's the benefit in being tough if you're not winning, you know? I'm with yeah. you. It's like, I know I'm tough, but I'm going to be tough and not have to use my toughness. Yeah. I mean, and that kid took, like, just three straight rounds of, like, just didn't didn't Sean O'Malley, like, break the well, man, What does that for- say about Sean O'Malley's power, though? Yeah, true. But he, he usually I've seen wins him by knock guys out, too. He's, you know, maybe that kid is just like a zombie. He's like a Nate Diaz yeah. type guy. Yeah. We'll never get knocked out. But I also kind of feel, did you see what he said recently about, he's like, I'm not going to fight ranked opponents until the UFC starts paying me what I'm worth. Like, he said, he said, whether I fight a ranked opponent or not, I get paid the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Sure. So it's like you're taking on all this Like you're starting to get risk. more and more guys speaking up about the pay structure in MMA. Yeah, how do you Especially, feel about, I mean, the uh, UFC, not just MMA, because other promotions do pay guys. Mm-hmm. The UFC, I think that they really do need to step up the way they pay fighters, because there's guys that are, these guys are world-class fighters. Like, we're all the most elite fighters in the world, mm-hmm. and some guys got to work two or sometimes one or two different jobs on the side and then try and train on top of that. And it's like, how do you expect these guys to go perform at the level that you want them to? Yeah. And then not be able to train as much. Like NFL guys don't have to go work another job. And yeah. MLB players aren't working other jobs. And they, the UFC holds themselves to that same standard, or at least they want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're not paying their athletes and giving them the opportunities to give their best in the cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like way below. Most of the main sports, the profit split is about 50-50 mm-hmm. athletes to like, yeah. uh, like the teams and the organization. Uh, and I think UFC is like in the... I want to say they're like 20 yeah. or something. I think like it's like that. 20 or 30. Yeah, it's it's. And then they more. also and then they sign with these. It used to be Reebok, now it's Venom. So they've taken away the fighters' opportunity to get any more yeah. income from sponsors on their shorts, which now like you see in Bellator, these like some of these guys in the UFC said they lost like six figures from sponsorships once oh, they signed it. these clothing deals with Venom and Reebok. Yeah, that's crazy. I remember when that first happened, it was a huge problem. Like some of the guys said, it's just like a slap in the face. Because you get paid six figures to buy all these different sponsors. Then your UFC check on top. Now I'm getting a $5,000 check from Reebok and then whatever the UFC is paying me. Yeah, cool. Man, that sucks. It sucks. It's it's a weird game now because it's like we were talking about this on a podcast earlier um, where like social media has become such an important thing in combat sports mm-hmm. where it's like you look at these guys and like whether you like them or not, the Jake Paul, Logan yeah. Paul, all those guys. They've sort of like built their own body and fan base and audience yeah. that like it doesn't matter what they do. They can go do like a yo-yo championship, you <laughs> exactly. know, and like People all their tune into it. Yeah, everyone's going to tune in. So it's like. But I honestly think it, they're doing more good for the sport. Like, did you see his uh, 
his uh, press conference, or not press conference, the video. Where did we watch that? Which one? It was like a, the last boxing fight. They played a video that he had made, and he's talking about how he wants to build a better future for boxing. He's like supporting Amanda Serrano. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was their like the behind the scenes right. thing that Showtime yeah. did after the. I mean, I think fight. that's cool. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely like on the side of the. <clears throat> the fighter like he's yeah. always calling out Dana White and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, do you think that really puts pressure on the, on UFC, the UFC, to, UFC to make a change I don't, to the I don't, public I think maybe a little bit but I, I don't know really I don't really think they care too much I think that the way the sport's going now is just about what you were saying is is this individual branding mm-hmm. and that's the way guys are making a lot of money these days is how mm-hmm. do you how's your social media look because there's guys that are way better than some of these guys in the UFC like you're, they're both in the UFC. One guy's way better than the other, mm-hmm. but the other guy's really good at his social media branding and, all, and his market, and the way he markets himself. Mm-hmm. And he's getting paid way more money than that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. at least what it gets, what it does is it allows you to walk to the negotiation table mm-hmm. with some leverage and be yeah. like, "Look, this is this is my fan base that I bring to the fight. Exactly. You know, people, you're gonna get pay per view dollars. You're gonna be able to do this. So it's like." It's weird now. And I feel like there's a stigma to it. Like there used to be in the fitness industry when when Instagram first became a thing. But I feel like there is now too where like some guys are just like, yeah, Yeah, like I don't do that whole social media Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's like, well, I mean, I kind of feel like everybody should to some extent now because I used to be like that, honestly. Like I hated it. Like I always said, if I didn't have to do social media, like then I wouldn't do it at all because I hate doing it. Mm-hmm. But now it's to the point where I'm like, this is this is part of my job. I have to do this. Exactly. It like is if I want job. to make money and set myself up for good deals and stuff in the future, then I need to build my own brand. Like exactly. I have to. You don't have a choice. Exactly. Because there's so many talented fighters out there, like thousands of guys in the world trying to get into the UFC. You're not all going to make it. Yeah. So you got to bring something to the table. And I think that the guys that do really well with their social media and their brands are the ones that get signed before the other guys. Yeah, oh, 100%. I mean, On that note, I have to go have a phone call. Okay. And then I have a meeting. All right. Um, rapid fire questions. All right. Favorite food? Favorite food? It would be French fries. Okay. What kind? Just like... Regular? Just re- Yeah, but you can burn them a little bit, too. Like, I like them crunchy. Right, okay, crunchy. Uh, odd choice. Yeah, odd. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely not normal. Like the crunchy ones, like on the bottom of the bag. I like those with the crunch. Oh, man, those are the ones I skipped. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite place that you've ever visited? I would say Vancouver was like one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. That's a cool spot. Favorite color? Purple. Favorite sex position? Mm. Reverse cowgirl? Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? No, never. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. On that note, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. appreciate your time. Where can people find you? You can find me at on Instagram at Wolverine underscore 170. And then Twitter right now is Tizzle underscore Ray. And the I is a one. But I, I'm going to change that. Bro, too. that's so complicated. I know. I'm going to change it to <laughs> no Wolverine one that. as well. <laughs> no one's looking you up on Twitter just because of that. Well, my Twitter is literally just Instagram that gets shared to Twitter. So I'm not that good on there anyways. Okay. So if you want to really follow me, then just go to Instagram. Okay. Right on. Thank you so much for your time.